Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Felicia for the Wind show. Oh my gosh, you guys, you have no idea how excited I am for these two guests that we have in the studio today. We've got Donnell, we've got Christy, and you know, I just feel like I need to give you two your flowers because when I first got exposed to TikTok, the algorithm did what the algorithm does. It, it put me in contact with your content and it was like a mind blown moment because I was like, these are the thoughts that I have had, um, you know, it, when I was a, a 15 year old still in the church, still, you know, having to go to church um, under the guidance of my parents. These are the thoughts that I had. These are the thoughts that I journaled about, but I kept to myself. These are the thoughts that when I met my husband, we had together and it was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe there are other people out there who think like this. They've always been thoughts that seem to be shunned by society or at least the society around me. Um, and so even though I was strong in my personal beliefs, I've been strong in my personal beliefs since, since a teen, really, um, I also kind of had this feeling or I, this knowingness that Yes, these are my beliefs. These are the things that I believe, but not everywhere is a safe space to really explore these concepts. So when I came across the content of yours, it was like an amazing moment, right? It, it, the world felt smaller in a really great way. And so, yeah, when I started this podcast, I was just in the shower one day and it just hit me like, like it was just a typical shower idea. I was like, oh my gosh, me, Donnell, Christy. I think I literally DM'd both of you <laughs> like right after I got out of that show. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I'm like truly honored to have you here. And I guess a great place for us to start. I'm very familiar with your content, um, but not so much about either of yours like personal stories. Um, but even for the audience out there, I'd love to just know, and I'm sure they would, how you kind of got to this point in your religious deconstruction journey. So let's go ahead and uh, let's start with Christy. Um, and I guess like the question that I have for you is how did you get here? Because like, for example, one of the things that I really love about your perspective and why I think it's like particularly interesting is you are an agnostic atheist, but you were once heavily in the church. So you know the Bible verses front and back. You were uh, the evangelist who really took it upon yourself to introduce the world to uh, God or introduce God to the people in the world or however you want to see it, right? Like that, you were a quote unquote about the life. So how does one go from being so deeply indoctrinated to where you are today, where you're not only unplugged from the matrix, but you are actually telling others and talking and you've dedicated your entire TikTok platform to helping others deconstruct as well. So how, how did you get here? Uh, so um, I always say that a lot of my um, willingness or, or um, ability to kind of break free from, from all of the indoctrination is my curiosity. You know, it's just a natural curiosity I've always had since I was a little kid. I've always wanted to know the the who, what, why, and where of everything, you know, so I was always asking why. And um, 
I was raised in the church from the time I was a baby. I grew up going you know, every Sunday, every Wednesday. I was taught this is how you're supposed to believe. This is what you're supposed to think. This is supposed to, you know, how you're supposed to feel. And um, I followed it. I just followed along until, you know, I was like 16, 17 years old. And I was confronted with um, an, an ideology very different to the one that I was raised with, which was Calvinism. And for anybody watching who doesn't know what Calvinism is, it's essentially the idea that um, God predestines all people to either go to heaven or hell. And from the time you were born, God decides where you're going to go. And there's nothing you can do to change that. And um, I grew up believing in a God of love and compassion that wanted everybody to be saved. And everybody, you know, he wanted a relationship with every person on earth. And it was my job to go out and to make sure that people had that relationship with God. And um, so when I was kind of introduced to this ideology, this this Calvinist doctrine, um, it really kind of shattered my perception of God. And it made my, it really sparked my curiosity and it made me want to search out, you know, the answers to this. Because I was like, there's no way, you know, even though there's so much scripture to back this doctrine up, um, there's no way that this is who God is. So I just went on this huge journey studying and trying to learn about God and better my relationship with God and figure it out because I wanted to be a good Christian. I wanted to be um, someone who was sure of their faith, sure of their God, and could share that with other people and know what I was talking about. Um, and so I spent a, a couple of years just kind of digging into the Bible and talking to Christian leaders. And I ended up coming around to Calvinist doctrine. I became a Calvinist myself for a short time. Um, and then I, I think I got to a point where I realized that I was serving a God that intentionally created people just so he could send them to hell and a God that was expecting me to go out and evangelize to people that he already predestined, you know, to heaven or hell. And I'm thinking, this is, this seems pointless. Like what, what is the point of all of this? Who is this God that I serve? And so I think I just got to a point where I became so overwhelmed and so exhausted of trying to seek God and find God. And I, I felt like every time I learned something new, I got further away and inevitably it just it led me to a place where I just I really just no longer believed and I spent some time kind of ignoring it all until I came back to the Bible in prayer and thought maybe I'll tithe maybe you know my life wasn't going really well at that time so I was like you know maybe if I tithe or I pray or I read my Bible or come back to Jesus maybe my life will get better um, but my concept of God had just become so abstract at that point that I, I just didn't have faith. Like the faith was gone and my reason and rationality had started kicking in. I was a little older, you know, I was in my early 20s and I was just like, I don't think I'm buying this anymore. You know, by the time I was like 22, 23, I'm like, I'm definitely an atheist. Like I don't believe in any of this. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my goodness. So many nuggets in there. The last thing that you said, right? Where it's like this idea of like losing one's faith. And it kind of just reminded me of Pascal's rate wager where, you know, the idea is uh, Pascal had the wager where it's like, you know, what if you're wrong, right? So like, what if when we die, um, you find out that there is a God, you're wrong about the fact that there wasn't a heaven and hell. And so now you're in this shitty position. So Pascal says that, you know, just to kind of cover all of your bases, to cover your ass, it makes more sense to just believe or to have that faith, even if you don't actually believe it. So like Donnell, one of the things that I specifically really enjoy about your page and your content, um, Flair, 
is obviously the way that you connect um, like black history and black culture. And you kind of intertwine these ideas of, of the, the problems with Christianity and how they kind of inherently conflict with, you know, uh, black, uh, I, I almost want to say like uh, black excellence or like, uh, like, it's rooted in white supremacy to a certain extent, right? And the thing about your content that I, I love is that you are informed about history. You're informed about the history. So that is that is something that I personally, as well, um, really helped me in my deconstructing journey is understanding the things like how, um, you know, I, I think it was Pope Nicholas, I think it was like Pope Nicholas V, how he issued the papal bills that allowed the Portuguese to actually go into Africa and enslave anyone who wasn't Christian, right? And so how do we as people of color um, from all over the world, how do we just so willingly jump into a religion that has historically, uh, literally, quite literally been used to disenfranchise us, literally enslave us? I mean, it's like, that was one, learning the history was one of the things for me where I was like, oh, I just don't want to, okay, beyond the fact that I don't know if I even believe in, in this stuff, I don't want to be on this team. Like, I just don't want to be on the team, right? And so I guess that's the question that, that I have for you is like, what is your perspective when it comes to like uh, the history? How much has the history kind of affected your position? And ultimately, do you believe that religion makes the world a, a better place or or worse place or and i guess we can specify and say christianity so i really i grew up in the church uh, similar to christy like just was really um heavily involved in it since i was a very small child um and i went to a smaller apostolic pentecostal church of about 30 to 50 people depending it fluctuated but it was a small church and i was involved in everything like i was you know going to church for maybe three to four times a week um, and we lived and we live in Chicago. So like we, I went to church on the South side. I lived in the North side. So like I was going like traveling, like it would take me like a long time to get to church. Um, and, or well, it took us a long time to get to church. I was on with my grandmother and my brother and whoever else. Um, we were often on the train and bus, just like going back and forth to church. Um, and so that's kind of my orientation with it. Um, and just just growing up, I feel like the thing that spurred a lot of my deconstruction and the things that like kind of sparked my curiosity was when I, because I really believed in what we were talking about. I really believed in love. Like when you're a child, right? You just like, they tell you, Jesus said that we should love our neighbor as ourselves and we should, you know, be kind to the stranger and hospitality and all these different things. So I was hearing all these messages about kindness and justice and mercy and patience, and faith, and you know, and ultimately, more ultimately, just love. Like, right? Um, so I think the the questions came when I saw the the distance and the behavior and the actions, or in the behavior and the beliefs. Like we say we believe in love, but we're not loving to this community. We say that we are kind and compassionate, but we're not kind and compassionate for to people who don't believe in God or you know, things like that. Um, and so as a child that I look back at my deconstruction journey now as an adult and see all those individual moments, I remember them vividly because they were kind of like core moments in my, in my journey of like, I guess, and ultimately my journey back home to myself. 
and being like, this isn't really, you know, we're not really living the thing um, that we're talking about here. And I had a, I had what I would call what my professor would call a transrational experience, like something that I can't explain. But I remember being in church and looking up at the ceiling and like having this moment of like, like I felt like I couldn't get past the ceiling. It's hard to explain. But I had that moment of like, oh, I'm kind of stuck here. Like I can't like, and for, for some reason it all came to an awareness of like, in that moment, from that moment, it took me like two years to eventually leave the church because there was like so many different, like, you know, things that were going on. Um, but I eventually transitioned to a different church, um, from that space. Um, and I was at this other church and it was, you know, it was more like, you know, young and like millennial folks. And it was like hip and they had great music and they had a great band. And I was like, Oh, this, they don't, they didn't talk about hell or any of that. And I was, and I was like, Oh, I can, I can get behind. This is nice. You know what I'm saying? We not really, we not really on the street court. Like in my old church, we really, we was all, we was hitting the pavement. Like we were going door to door. We were like evangelism going into community, things like that. But at this new church, we were kind of like, you know, it was really different spot. So while I was at that church and as I grew in leadership, because when you're a child who's been going to church four or five times a week, that's nothing to you. Like we, oh, two services on Sundays, three services. You know, it's, I, I can do this. And the services were only like an hour long. I'm like, I, I used to be in church three, four hours. Like, I mean, it was nine to five. We had Sunday school at nine o'clock. We had the midweek day service and then we had evening service at five o'clock sometimes. Well, it's like, that was my kind of upbringing. So this new experience was like, take walk. Like, this is, this is great. Um, and I really felt like I could focus on more of the, you know, my faith and like connecting with people and like, all these different things. But even in that space, as I grew in leadership at that space, because of my, you know, the devotion and all these different things, um, I started to see a lot of the same kind of veiled conservatism. Like it was one of those things that we, we didn't talk about race, religion, politics, any of those things. Um, I mean, religion we could talk about, but there were, we weren't allowed to talk about divisive topics, you know, and that was also just a red flag. It was like, so what do we, you're not saying what we believe here. And that was also kind of an issue. Like at the other space, I knew what they believed. It was preaching about the, the, the homophobia. They were preaching about the misogyny at this place. It was like, oh, everyone's accepted and loved. And they, it was like kind of covert. <laughs> um, but during that time I went to seminary and I really think that's when everything took off in terms of like my understanding of the history. Like that's the first time when I realized I had been mis miseducated historically. Learning the history changed everything. Like I, I learned about the history of colonialism. Um, and then I started to dig deeper. Like once I uh, decided that I wasn't going to be a pastor, I switched to a focus in religious studies. So I could do like a, like a research-based track as opposed to going to hospitals and, you know, praying over people and, you know, doing, doing that sort of thing. Cause that was the alternative. Like you had to go do chaplaincy at a hospital or at a nonprofit or whatever the case may be. Um, but doing the research, I was like, I'm going to go and dig and find the answers to all the questions that I've ever had. Now that I know how to do it, I know where to look. I know who to talk to. I know who to, you know what I'm saying? Like I had, my librarian was amazing at the seminary and she was just very helpful with like, if I needed help finding information about things. Right. Um, so that history like really transformed everything and really impacted, um, 
like just my mindset and approach. And it was that thing of like, I don't want, I don't know if I want to be on this team, like, cause this team is very anti-black. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And as, and as I, and as I dug deeper, right. Um, I feel like what I learned is that, um, is that religion became violent and became this global, like violent force when it became tied to white supremacy. When the Pope said, "Hey, these people aren't even people. They they're savages. If you don't go over there, they're going to die unsaved." And so it is our responsibility. That's how they rationalized it, right? Because you have to; these people had to find a way to rationalize and kind of make sense of the juxtaposition of their behavior. Versus their actions. I, I say that I'm a Christian and that, you know, but I'm over here, you know, enslaving, murdering, you know, sexually assaulting the the whole nine. Um, but that was their, their rationale. And so, like, when I learned that and um, just saw, I feel like that's why I, I speak so much about white supremacy, because I don't know. I don't think people, people know about it. We talk about it all the time, but I don't know if people really know the extent and the depth and the um, the layers to which how involved you know, it they were has invade invaded every sphere that we exist in and know. Um, I like to think of because, it like um like a trifecta. I think I think that was like the that was the holy trinity was this this combination of uh like Christianity, uh, capitalism, and mm -hmm. essentially like white supremacy, right? Mm -hmm. So like that combination, lethal. Because ultimately, oh. right, the, okay, the, so the Catholic Church justified and encouraged, really, enslavement. Encouraged. <laughs> enslavement. Sanctioned. Yeah, sanctioned, right? Yeah, so it's, <laughs> it is encouragement. Um, the enslavement of people across, across the, the world, you know, like a scale we can't even really imagine, but um, all for the sake of what? For the sake of profit, for the sake of, of coming up, right, off of, off of this free labor type of thing. And so it's really kind of like that trifecta is what I've noticed. And it's kind of like, yeah, going back to it is like, yeah, I just don't think I could ever be on this team. And kind of circling back to what we were saying even earlier, that in conjunction with the fact that like, you know, we, we've learned about other religions kind of puts us in this place where it's like, I don't know, I don't think I really have to be forced on this team now that I think about it. I'm, I'm not even really sold that... I have to kind of um, sacrifice my my own personal beliefs about all of these past atrocities in order to be on this team. I mean, it kind of seems like I could be on any of these teams or a combination of these teams or none of these teams. Uh, you know, I haven't drawn any correlations that actually say that this is the truth, right? Um, this seems right 100%. And I ultimately think that that would be the thing that I would be looking for is um, I kind of have this this concept or this theory that's like if Christians were actually Christ-like, like that would actually be dope. You know, like I like, might want to be a part of that, but like they're not. Um, yeah. And so so, yeah, you know, like uh, that's another thing that I really like about Christie's page is um Christy kind of comes at it from this angle of uh, like critical thought, like logic, 
And Krista, you have a lot of patience because the people that you reply to, whether that be, you know, like on your YouTube or in your TikToks, like the people that you actually spend time reply to, you're better than me because I don't think I don't have enough patience to do it. How do you do it? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I've gotten to a point I, so I used to get very, very frustrated. Um, I mean the trauma just from deconstructing and having been through that whole thing, um, you know, can kind of make a person, you know, very they lash out a lot, you know, can, can mm -hmm. make a person angry or bitter. And so for a long time I was that I was kind of angry and bitter and I got, you know, I got angry about these topics or when people would confront me with the things that I get confronted with on, on TikTok and YouTube. Um, but I realized that my kind of anger and bitterness faded the more I healed and worked on myself and educated myself. And that made me realize that typically when people are lashing out, when people are saying these, these awful things, that comes from a place of ignorance, insecurity, um, a place where they feel shaken or possibly afraid. And it's really hard to, to see it that way, especially when people are being really angry on a keyboard. But I've just really had to remind myself over and over again that when people are angry on a keyboard and they're lashing out and they're not coming to this critically or rationally, um, it's because they're in a very, uh, kind of, uh, bad emotional state, I guess you could say, you know, yeah. being confronted with, you know, criticism or scrutiny against their beliefs or what have you. And so I think a lot of times it really just comes from they feel insecure. Uh, a lot of the, the lashing out and the anger comes from ignorance. And so I just try to remember that when I'm responding to people. And I think that's why it's so important that we have to continue educating. That's why I love Danelle's channel, because the education is what we really need. We need people to be informed and educated so that they're not ignorant. And, and that will help, I think, heal a lot of that, <laughs> you know, that conflict between the, the two sides. <laughs> You know? Can I just say I've no I've definitely like noticed that about like your page is that like you're no you no longer like get riled up like you, you really like <laughs> you seem like you seem to be just really like secure in who you are and like you know what I'm saying to the point where it's like you know that when people are coming at you because you were in that space you know what it's like to yeah. be there and you know what it's like to I do have someone like say something and you're like oh this you know if this is true then what else is you know like it's a scary scary people people in. are afraid you know when people mm -hmm. are being especially when you're on youtube and you're a christian and you're you're deep in it and you're scrolling and then somebody comes up and they say something that shakes your faith or shakes what you believe um that can be very very scary and i know what that's like to be in the position where i'm being confronted with these things that kind of conflict with what i believe and what i think and that can be very overwhelming for a person you know and i think if we approach it more with like empathy and understanding that a lot of people are just heavily indoctrinated they are brainwashed um adults in their lives from the time they were born have been working on their brain and changing the chemistry um, against their own will, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a lot for a person. And, um, you know, so I, I really, though I do get mad, I do get frustrated, um, you know, and sometimes I get a little snarky. Um, I just yeah. really try to understand that the people I'm dealing with are often very heavily indoctrinated and indoctrination is abuse. In my opinion, they have been mentally abused and and that's that's something to consider. I think that's a very delicate situation. And I I, I wish more people uh, 
would realize, like the everyday average person, you know, not people that are kind of deep in the religion or deep in the non-religion, just the everyday average person, I wish they would realize the impact and the effect that all of this religious indoctrination has on people's minds and why it is so important that we talk about this and we try to find a way to to change it. You know, I don't know how, but. <laughs> Facts. Like if I could yeah, say literally. anything, I think that that is why. So I, I'd love your perspective as well, Christy, if you believe that Christianity makes the world better or worse. But in my opinion, one of the biggest kind of like a, uh, psychological atrocities that like Christianity has offered the world is this um encouragement of lack of critical thought like it's it's basically like the less that you can actually think about the scripture and think about the history and think of like the less you can think the higher your chances of getting into heaven and mm -hmm. that has always bothered me because like both of you right i'm also like super curious also always have been so curious that if there is a god i believe that that god has given me that like a gift <laughs> and so to mm -hmm. you know i remember having that internal conflict as a teenager is like wait i feel like god gave me this gift of critical thought and I am experiencing having critical thought in these Christian spaces where, like, none of the adults have it. And I'm being told, you know, to pray on it. I'm being told to have faith. I'm basically being told you're thinking too much. You're thinking too much into it. And I ultimately feel like I had to make the decision, like, am I going to stop thinking and go along with this? Or am I going to stop going along with this and really pursue this life of critical thought? Um, and so, so yeah, Christy, what do you think? Does Christianity make the world a better place or, or a worse place and, and why? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know that I can say it makes it a better or worse place. I don't know if, if Christianity was, was not a thing, would there be something else taking its place? I think, you know, from the beginning of time, human beings have always wanted to kind of reach outside of themselves. Um, so I, 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 you know, and then you're going to have the natural human instinct to want to be better than everyone else. And I think Christianity kind of has that inherent uh, supremacy within it that, you know, we are the one true religion. And so when you are part of a group of people that believes that you are the one true religion, you know, the one true God and your way is the right way. It's pretty easy to justify a lot of atrocities, you know, because mm -hmm. you think that you're already you're above everyone else, you know, you're, you're, you're better, you have some secret special place or knowledge. Um, I, I definitely think that a lot of people find a lot of hope and comfort in Christianity and prayer and the community. Um, what I like to present, though, is could we create systems where people find those same things like community and comfort and hope without all of the the the, the guilt and the shame and <laughs> yeah. you know the you know the the rules Literally. and everything i i so i think that we could perhaps make a better place without christianity and and replace it with you know, something, a, a more secular way of, of coming together and providing those same things that, um, you know, that Christianity can provide. Truth. Truth. 
Yeah, that, that was. Can I chime in here? Please. Um, I was just gonna say that I, speaking to your point earlier about like if Christianity didn't didn't exist, what would the other thing be? Um, because if Christianity didn't exist, white supremacy would still exist, right? And what would what would that what would it weaponize? What would it use mm-hmm. to you know exact its aims and to further its mission and to colonize the world? It would find uh, a tool, no matter what. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. No matter what that tool is, probably a different religion, right. different. I think it would find a different tool. Um, but I heard uh, there's a woman who does deconstruction content, Joe Lumen, um, and she's and she uh, made the point that Christianity has been a tool of oppression against the marginalized and a tool of liberation for the marginalized. Mm. And to erase either one of those realities is problematic and harmful. Right. Woo. I agree. For me, like for me, like I know that Christianity, like it changed my grandmother's life. Like she's the woman who raised me. Like she became Christian in order to be a better example to us. Um, she grew up in Jamaica. She had a really, um, you know, she had a like she. There was a lot going on in Jamaica. There was a lot of political violence. There's a lot of you know things like that. She came to America. Um, but when she had to take us in, she transformed her life. Like she became just a very sacrificial person. And like she, she, I credit her with saving me and my brother's life. And without the Christian faith that, or without the Christian community that gave her, you know, the, um, the ability to, to make some of those sacrifices that gave her community and connection when she came to the, you know, when she came to America, like, I don't know where I would be or what, what my life would look like right now. And I feel like that's the reason why I try to approach my the content the way I do, and not in a way that's like I'm talking about the history. If you if you're offended at the history, I I don't know what to tell you. Right. <laughs> we have like, to make I the history. I mean, it is what it <laughs> is. Literally, like I didn't I didn't make this history, and then like people will try to like you know have make these mental jumps of like, well, if we didn't get enslaved, we wouldn't know Jesus, and it's like. That's literally white supremacy. That's literally the the thing that they said. You know, tell me, no one's saying that. Tell me that that no one is actually saying that. It is a it's a it's been a thing that has existed in the black community since like the first black woman who was a published author here in America, Phyllis Wheatley. Um, she had wrote a book called a book of poetry called Poems on Things, Religion, Sin, Moral, something to that effect. But she has a poem about on being brought from Africa to America. Was mercy brought me from my pagan land, taught my benighted soul to understand mm. that there is a God, that there's a savior too. One salvation I never sought or knew. You know, like she credited, credited the colonizers because she got taken from West Africa when she was six years old. Mm. Um, and she credited the colonizers with saving her. Like they saved me from my tradition. Uh, from my from my paganness and things like that, and this is an idea that has been that is still perpetuated. I still see it in my comments to this day, you know. And so knowing that history was like, all right, this is the same thing that is the same idea. And where did this idea come from? The people who the Christians who took her in and taught that she was gifted and taught her how to read the Bible and you know and gave her you know what I'm saying like it came from those people. And she was like, it makes sense. Like if I was still in Africa, I wouldn't have any of this stuff. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be able to write a book and get published and you know, so like that idea is still it still shows up in my comments. It's one of the most frustrating things and heartbreaking things really to read. Um this idea that if we didn't get enslaved, that we would 
we wouldn't know Jesus and we wouldn't be going to heaven. That is blowing my mind right now. I'm not even going to lie to you. That is, I have never heard that. And that is truly blowing my mind that there's any people of color who can even justify it in, in that way. Um, yeah, that is. They need it to be true is the thing. They mm. need it to be true in order to hold on to their faith, right? So, because if you have to confront this legacy, mm-hmm. what is it going to mean for your faith? If you have to confront the fact that the reason why the West and Central Africans knew Christianity is because the Catholic Church sanctioned their enslavement, encouraged their enslavement. Like, what do you, how would you reconcile that mm. with what you believe? And, you know, that, that brings me to this other, um, this other leg of this whole, of the whole debate. And that is um, the importance of, of believing in a heaven and hell. Right. Because to your point, right, like they need this faith. Right. Um, But it all ultimately comes down to the belief of a heaven and hell, the belief that whatever the pagan belief that she had, I I assume that it wasn't a distinctive heaven and hell in the Christian way. So Mm -hmm. it's all dependent on this idea that like you're on the right team. And because of that, you are going to go to heaven and everyone else is going to go to hell. and. For me, I remember, like, I, I just started really entertaining the idea of, like, what if that's not true? <laughs> like, what if there isn't a heaven or a hell? And when, you know, when you apply critical thought to that concept and you say, like, mm, what do I really think about the likelihood and the probability of a heaven and hell? Like, and you really kind of unravel the yarn ball and you start having thoughts like, okay, so that would mean that planet earth is basically just tryouts right so so we (laughs) we we are here for a finite amount of time and this is the tryout play field and whatever we do here is where we're going to spend eternity like it it's just like (laughs) wait what and then my ass as as a kid right i started thinking things like okay well if eternity happens after I die, then, well, where did I come from? Right? So it's just like how it's all connected. And it's just like, wait, this doesn't ring true. This this seems like kind of a leap. Um, I don't know. Have, have either of you guys thought about this concept of like the validity of a heaven and hell? Do either of you believe or not believe in it? How do you, how do you approach this idea? Heaven and hell were my most, like, the last things for me. Well, hell, I think, was the last thing for me to deconstruct. But I think that's because that was, like, fear indoctrination, you know, that I was so afraid of hell that, you know, that fear kind of lingered. It's a lot harder to deconstruct a fear than it is your idea of God, you know. Mm. But um, heaven always kind of freaked me out growing up because I would think about, like, I'd go there and like, am I just going to like worship all day? Do I have to like sing songs? All Like, I don't know. I had this idea in my head that when I got to heaven, I was just going to be like singing and praying into eternity, like forever. <laughs> that freaked me out a little bit, you know? Um, but like these days, I just feel like this whole idea of like this binary heaven hell system where like certain good people go and certain bad people go. And that's just, that's for it forever. That's this, the, the eternal resting place after this tiny little blip on earth. 
that's a, doesn't that sound so just man-made? Like, I don't feel like a god came up with that idea. Like, that just seems absurd. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, do we really need to, like, have this cosmic justice system where, like, you're born into this earth where everybody is born at, like, basically different levels. You know, you can be born into suffering and, and live your whole life suffering and die suffering. You can be born into this white, rich, healthy family that all your needs are taken care of. And like two completely different people have two completely different experiences and then apply or multiply that by the billions and billions of people that all have their own unique experiences with their own unique brain chemistry. And we all think differently and go through life differently and experience different kinds of privileges and like, to me, it seems like all of that is what shapes us and it's what, you know, makes us the people that we are and mm -hmm. it in, impacts our behavior. It impacts how we see the world. Um, and I have just kind of learned to kind of expand my empathy for people that do bad things sometimes that, you know, make really bad mistakes in life that get caught up in the wrong things. Um, a lot of people on earth are so consumed with this idea of justice, making sure people get what they deserve and punish them, punish them, punish them. And I just don't like that idea. I feel like, um, a lot of the way people are and the way people behave is, sometimes out of our control like it kind of it really plays into like the whole like free will thing which you know right <laughs> you get right. Into another time. but like um I just feel like to to say that how people behave or what they do here on earth should impact what happens to them for the rest of eternity and then it's just this one binary system of good place or bad place to me that just doesn't make sense for such a nuanced existence you know uh, yeah, I absolutely, that, <laughs> that, that makes sense. You know, <laughs> that does make sense. Uh, the, for, to me, the notion of heaven and hell is what doesn't make sense. What, what do you think, Donnell? No, I'm like, I'm literally getting emotional because like, I just remember that being like such a, like eye-opening thing to unpack is the justice of God. Hmm. Um, I was like, this isn't fair. It's just not fair, you know? And speaking to Christy's point, like I started to think when I started to learn more about just our black history and learn more about like the things that we have to experience, the things that we've endured, the things that um, um, we've gone through, the decisions that people have to make in order to survive, you know, mm -hmm. like things that would be considered bad, but like it's either that or starve or either that or, you know, and so, like, the, th the thought that, like, God was, like, punishing them, would punish them for their poverty or, you know, mm -hmm. send them to hell for eternity after they already experienced hell here on Earth mm. just yep. didn't make sense to me. And it just didn't feel just. And I was like, if God is just, then God didn't create this. This is not a divine thing. It feels very man-made. It feels very like American justice system, like yeah, um, and everything, and just the the entire binary too. Like everything in the Christian faith was there was no nuance. None. There was never any nuance. If you, you're either hot or cold, if you're lukewarm, mm -hmm. you're out of here. You know, heaven or hell. You know, all the all these just binaries. They're the flesh and the spirit. They're they're all throughout the Christian faith, and there's no like. Even the flesh and the spirit binaries, like I didn't, I couldn't trust my own body because of that 
mm. primary. I was like, I have to be external. I have to be spirit. I have to like look outside of myself, you know? And so like the justice thing really transformed my perspective on heaven and hell before I even learned the history, before I learned about Dante's Inferno and learned about all these like ideas that kind of developed the, the, the concept of hell and the rapture and things like that. I was like, this isn't just, this isn't fair. I know it's not fair to me. And to your point. Is God a white racist? <laughs> and if so, is that the God? Like, I'm going to die on the hill for that God, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, wait, I don't even think I want to be there. Um, but, you know, that's the other thing. Like, to your point about there being, um, there seems to be no nuance, I would say, in the church, but what's odd is that if you actually read the Bible, it's almost like the, the Bible's all gray. The Bible is, can't pick a side. The <laughs> yeah. Bible doesn't know if, if God is a good guy, if place. God is a bad guy, if it's okay <laughs> to rape people. If it's The Bible says murder them. Then, then you got the Ten Commandments that says thou shalt not kill. Like the Bible is all gray. And, mm. you know, that's, that's kind of where like a, a lot of my interest has come is like thinking about it from a social indoctrination place right like a social programming place and and how a book like that can be used has been used to control you know for as a tool for mind control so it's like you know you got this book everything's in it you know whatever whatever mm -hmm. you want to do the book justifies it when you mm -hmm. really understand the history of you know when the for example the printing press came out and you understand that the Bible and Christianity was around way before access to reading this book was around. You start to understand like, oh, okay, only certain people even had access to the book. So you have all of these people going to church, attending these sermons, listening to words that were handpicked from a Bible where you can pick anything you want to justify. And it's all based mm -hmm. on whatever the priest, pastor, whatever, the Pope, whatever they want to talk about that day. And they can put their whole spin and their whole perspective on it. And that's the message. And it's holy and it's unquestionable. It's the perfect tool for mind yeah. control. And and we've seen that play out. It makes me think of the, um, the slave Bible. Like, that's something that also just, you know, that Christians kind of stay away from especially black christians when you talk about like that there was a bible um that had any passages that could even inspire or incite rebellion were removed right yep. so like they said um like over half the new testament was removed like 90 percent of the old testament whatever the case may be like large chunks of these passages right but what was in there you know, slaves obey your masters, at, your masters, you know, and obey them as unto Christ and serve them as you're serving the Lord. So I have to treat the person who's like enslaving me, who just sold my sister. I got to treat him like he's God because that's what God would want me to do. You know, and I, so when we think about the social programming piece, like I think about how many communities, black communities were in the Caribbeans and all over the Americas. It was, you know, right? It's not just the USA, it's the Caribbean, it's you know, Brazil and all these different places. It's like they were given Bibles that that were used to that were created to enforce 
their obedience and their submission, submission and their docility, right? No rebellion. Um, and how much of that idea? So, and I think about today, like these are generations of ideas passed down from person to person to person. And what ideas have been emphasized generationally mm. in the black community? You know, not turn the other cheek, you know, be, be kind, <laughs> you know, all these, it's like, yeah, the social programming piece, I think about that all the time. Like, what were the idea, the emphasized ideas that have been generationally passed down from slavery, you know, throughout, you know, the black lineages and even, you know, even some white folks too, like, what were those ideas and why were certain passages emphasized and others not? thousand percent one of the things that i have been um recently kind of like fixating on to to that point about the the mind control is the element of how the social programming okay i've been playing with this idea in my mind of like there's misogyny right there's a lot of misogyny in the bible are people are men and people really, we can say people, it's not just men. Are people misogynistic because of their faith? Have either of you ever thought of that or, or have any thoughts of that idea? Go ahead, Christy. Definitely. Oh, 100%. I mean, um, especially like growing up in the Southern Baptist church, you know, the, the misogyny was it was rampant, you know, it, mm. we were always taught that, um, you know, women were, were lesser, we were the weaker vessel, vessel. I mean, that is literally what you're taught in the church. You were the weaker vessel. Uh, some churches stick with the whole women remain silent in churches. My church was not one of those. However, we had members in the church. We had women in the church that would remain silent at home. And if they had a question, they'd go home and ask their husband, you know, wow. when they got there. So, um, I was raised around that. Um, I remember uh, when I'm an artist and I, I, I paint murals and a few oh. years back, I kind of got together with some uh, women, uh, some other female artists, and we wanted to paint like a mural celebrating women's uh, right to vote. It was 100 years of women's right to vote. So we got together to paint a big mural to celebrate it in, in the city. And um, I remember I was telling some of my religious family members about that and, um, you know, how, how excited I was to, to celebrate 100 years of women's right to vote. And um, one of them looked at me and she said, why do you need to do that? It, why are we celebrating it? You, we've been able to vote for, you know, 100 years. Why does, why does it matter? <laughs> it's like she was, they were so not impressed with the fact that we were celebrating women because women are not to be celebrated in that way. Um, you know, the doctrine really puts an emphasis on men came first, men are stronger, men are smarter, and women just Take, take the lead and trust. God will put you with a man that, you know, that will, will guide you. You just need to obey him. And by obeying him, you will obey God. You know, it's by obeying your master, you obey God. It's, it's that same thing. You know, it just kind of trickles down. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And it's kind of just like, so like that, so the, the thought that kind of sparked all this for me was I've realized maybe, maybe something like three weeks ago. How absurd it is, the concept that Eve came from Adam's rib. It's like, okay, wait, wait, wait. So women literally birthed the world, right? But like the 
first human didn't come from a woman. Like, if anything, it would be the other way. <laughs> like, it, it makes no sense. So the first woman came from a man, but every being after that came from a woman. It, it makes no sense. And to mm -hmm. the, the point, it just sounds a little man-made. <laughs> it sounds man-made. Yeah, and certain things are emphasized. Yeah. Like, the, like, the whole rib thing is not even an accurate translation of the original word, which I learned in seminary. Mm. Um, learning from a womanist scholar who was interested in centering women in the in these narratives, she said that the word isn't translated rib; it's translated side. Mm. Um, and it also there's two creation narratives in Genesis. I there's did not know that. There's one that says, you know, God created Adam and took Eve out of his rib, and there's another one that says. God created man and women. He created them all at the same time. Wow. Um, and so, like, again, it's about picking and choosing and emphasizing what ideas that you want to postulate in order to, you know, whatever, control or whatever the case may be. But like, for me, like, I learned when I started to, that was the, that's the roots of everything. Like, people, when it comes to the misogyny, like, people all, that's the story that people go back to. And without even knowing that there that another story exists, without even knowing an accurate translation of you know the the book that they're reading, um, and for me too, like in doing my doing the work that I do, like um, that's a question that came up. Like I asked women, like what did what did growing up hurt you about society's relationship to an understanding of women? Women just poured in. I'm a thing to be owned, to be had, to be possessed. Um, I heard a woman just t told a story about how, you know, her, the pastor was having an affair with a woman in the church and she went up during his funeral to talk about it. And she was literally shoved out of the church and taken down from the stand. And she said, that's when she realized like, y'all hate women up in here. Like, <laughs> those were her words, <laughs> you know? And I was like, okay, so let me open this up and women poured in. Like, oh, it's all about men. I have to be submissive to a man. I have to be under a man. I'm nothing without a man. Behind every great man is a good woman. All these ideas, they're, they're all out. They're all throughout. It's the misogyny is rampant. I swear. And especially when you, when you ask, um, you know, these kind of like alpha men who, I mean, unabashedly, they say like, no, women are here to serve, right? A lot of times they are also church goers. And it's like, well, yeah, my guy, like you've literally grown up in a community, in an environment that preaches that narrative. You know, I'll never forget being like 13 years old. So a, a little bit about my story. Um, I also grew up in the church um, since I was born um, heavily. Uh, both of my parents were, well, my dad was a deacon. My mother was a deaconess and my dad is now a pastor. And he has his own wow, church really? currently. Yep. He has his own small little cute church. Um, and it's, it's cool. Like I, every now and then I go and it's great to like, see my dad up there doing his thing. Um, but yes, as a kid, I had to go to church every single Sunday until I was 18. I remember asking my mom, how long do I have to go to church? I was told <laughs> 18. And so I said, all right, I'll, I'll do it until I'm 18. But it wasn't just Sunday. It was Wednesday, Bible study. It was summer camp, church summer camp. It was school, Catholic school. It was everywhere around me. Um, 
And so, yeah, I, I remember having kind of like sprinkles of, of these kind of thoughts before and, and yeah, just really understanding how deeply ingrained the concept of misogyny is in the Bible. And once again, that just doesn't sound like a team I want to be on. Mm-hmm. I think I saw a video of Christie's um, the other day where you were mentioning there's even like some text in the Bible where, I mean, there's probably tons of text in the Bible, but I think in this one video, you were specifically mentioning a, a particular text that is about, a, I think, a father who like offered his daughters up to be like assaulted by like a group of men or something like that. And it's like, man, like how how could you not question the goodness of the God in this story? You know, that story, I, I love talking about it just because so many people, they they go with what they heard, you know, in their church at the pulpit about that story, which if you actually read the story <laughs> is so different than like what I was preached, you know, what they preached in my church, which was Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a town of wicked people and they were all homosexual <laughs> and, you know, they, they were just evil and wicked and God had to burn them down, you know? Um, but if you read the story and you see that um, Lot <laughs> has the, these men in his house, um, these, these guests who are angels, I guess, um, and the men of the city do come up and they're like banging on the door, you know, and they're like, hey, we we want those men in there. They're good looking, you know, bring them out here. We want to have fun with your guests. And Lot goes, don't do that. These are my guests. Take my daughters instead. You know, they're virgins. Just just I'm going to send them out. We'll be fine. And then this big thing happens and, the, you know, the angels let them go free and they run away from the city. And what's funny is that happens um, after Lot offers his daughters up, you know, to the, the men of the city. They run away and Lot's wife, uh, since we're on the subject of misogyny, she looks back at, you know, at her <laughs> home as it's burning to the ground, right? Which is a, a perfectly normal human reaction. But since they were instructed not to look back, she's turned into a pillar of salt. And, you know, uh, supposedly that was God, you know, getting rid of her because she did the thing she wasn't supposed to do, even though... I guess God didn't want to tell Lot not to offer up his daughters, you know, to be treats of the city. So, you know, it's just crazy to see how like the woman is treated versus the man. And then not only that, but later mm -hmm. on, I think it's in Second Peter, Second uh, Peter, maybe two seven. I'm not sure. I could be misquoting that, but um, Lot is actually called a righteous man. Um, it says like if God saved Lot, who was a righteous man, then he can save you or, or something like that. I don't remember the exact verse, but it's so interesting to me how when you look at that story and then you consider the fact that the Lot was never, you know, reprimanded. He was never told you shouldn't have done that. In fact, he's called a righteous man. Meanwhile, his wife is still sitting back as a pillar of salt. Like just for looking back at her city just the misogyny just rooted in that story alone and then how it's how it's spun. And when I talk about that story, you know, on TikTok, people come to me with all kinds of things like, oh, well, he offered up his his daughters because, you know, it was just the, the etiquette at the time, you know, to, to take care of your house guests. That that was the right thing to do or, you know, or, oh or, or the, she got turned into salt because, <laughs> because saying, she, like... she was looking back. She disobeyed. She did what God told her not to do. And she looked back. So it was right. Like, 
the way women are treated versus how men are treated and the behaviors that the the men get away with in the Bible, like no wonder <laughs> you see so much misogyny within modern Christianity because they can use these biblical stories to justify it. That story used to terrify me. I'm telling you. It is. I was like, I can't do scary. shit. God gone. Exactly. Like you we know, used to make these narratives like God's gonna strike you down or God's gonna <laughs> the ground's gonna open up and you're gonna Right? Yeah. It's like the, there's never enough goodness that you can do to kind of escape that level of like fear, right? Of eternal damnation. There's almost no way to win, it seems like. Well, that's, I think that's why it's used, you know? I mean, fear is such a powerful tool for control. Like, if you can make people afraid, you can make them do almost anything. Um, you know, that's – and I think that it's just – it's an easy way. It's an easy way to control people. And, I mean, you know, we could talk about, like, you know, hell and, you know, whether it's eternal torment or not. But I think the reason that that was developed, this idea that you're going to be burned forever, God's going to strike you down, the fire and the brimstone, it, it's fear. It's, it's all fear tactics. And if you can recognize it for what it is, it becomes a lot easier to, you know, avoid falling into that, that trap. I just feel like if it is a loving doctrine, it is a loving religion, you can love people into it. But you can't really love people into doctrine that isn't loving, you know? And so mm -hmm. they use fear because fear works. And there's so much fear in the Bible. Fear God, you know? You have to fear God. That's all throughout the Old Testament. Um, and so I think it, it becomes easy to to kind of instill that in, in people and make them so afraid of what God's going to do to you if you don't obey. Absolutely. I think what's like, what's um, really interesting about the, the fear conversation is it's just like, it is the thing. It like I'm in my religious trauma era now, where I'm like studying religious trauma. I just gave a, a talk on religious trauma at the University of Georgia um, Ooh, a couple weeks ago, awesome. where people just like I just told my story, and people were like, "Oh, and these were like PhD students who were like trying to who were going into therapy, mm. so they're trying to figure out how to like counsel their counsel people who have religious trauma because it's a growing conversation now. It's a thing that um, was coined in like 2011, so it's relatively new. People are still like trying to like you know unpack how it um, impacts people and how it impacts you know their their physical body and all these different things. Um, and like the fear piece, right? Is so when I think about like child childhood fear, like being a child and being told like you're going to burn in hell if you tell a lie, and that God is always watching you. So like the the effects of that from my they say that the, the effects of religious trauma syndrome are similar to people who have complex PTSD. Mm. Yep. It's like and it's prolonged because like, you know, when you're a child who's being abused, when the abuser is not there, you feel more safe, you feel more, you know, in your body, like you can, you know, function, you're not hypervigilant as much. But when the person is always watching you. They're watching every your thoughts. If you think the wrong thing, you could be, you know, on the wrong side of the heaven hell binary. Like, how does that impact a child? Right? For me, who I believe I've started to believe in this at, you know, six or seven years old. Like I was told at eleven years old, like, hey, you're a good kid, but like you you you're not baptized yet and I don't want you to go to hell. And so I was like, Oh, well, I'm getting baptized tomorrow then. What are we talking about? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, and I really believed it. When you're a child, you, you're there's no like nuance and 
everything is black and white for you. Like you believe yeah. what people say. Yep. You trust the adults in your life. You trust the adults mm -hmm. in your life. That was, you know, as I got yeah. older, that was one of the things that I remember kind of looking back on and being like, hey, love my parents. But something feels kind of wrong about like, I don't know, dedicating your life to a God, getting saved, getting baptized. Um, and that just being like encouraged at, when you're 13, you know, that kind of seems like something that mm -hmm. like an adult should do. Like, do you want to give your soul to this God? Uh, you know, that seems like something maybe you should be 18 at least before you can even really make that decision. But to kind of encourage a child before they are even able to have that level of critical thought that, hey, why don't you give your soul to this thing? I mean, it's kind of, I mean, you know, it's, I look back on it now, like, I don't think, yeah. I don't think uh, when I have kids, I'm not going to do that. You know, like, you, hey, whoever you want to give your soul to, you're going to make that decision on your own. I'm not encouraging you to give it to mm -hmm. any particular day to you, you know? <laughs> They had us pledging our allegiance to the Bible and to the Christian flag along the with the flag. American flag during VBS. Yeah, I'm, Danelle, did you go through that too? <laughs> no, I didn't go through this, but when I was I was a missionary for a mission trip ah. leader for about three years, um, okay. like in the middle of my pro deconstruction process. Um, and we would have kids come from all over the... I stayed in Chicago typically, so we would have kids come from all over Bible Belt and you know wherever else. Uh, typically, like all white, you know, church youth groups, um, and these were the things that they introduced to like black and brown churches. Like, hey, pledge allegiance to the Christian flag. Um, I have never heard God's of God's word for what it stands, or whatever the case may be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's so there's an actual pledge, and that wait, there's an yeah. actual Christian flag. Yeah, they were waving it at the insurrection. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, actually, my, my neighbor, I have a neighbor down the road with a Christian flag <laughs> above his American flag. <laughs> above it? Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, we got a, in order, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Jesus exactly. and then, then America. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's the order. Wow. I literally, I never knew that. I never knew that. But, you know, and, and I'm assuming that there's a cross on that flag, right? It's a cross. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's another thing. As I got older, I started really understanding like what a crucifix is, right? When you're a kid, you have no idea that this thing that's hanging over the the, the, the priest or the pastor or that is a torture device. Yeah. And people hang this stuff above their bed. It's a torture device. I mean, in an in an alternate and around their neck and around their necks in an alternate universe, it could have been a guillotine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's so odd <laughs> when you really Imagine think people about walking it. around with guillotines around their neck. <laughs> and sometimes they have the dead body on there. With blood. With, with blood trickling down the, the hands. And... Just like blood. Yeah. Doesn't really inspire love, like feelings of love, right? Which is so funny because the like satanic the panic. You know, like the they're so scared of like blood sacrifice and Satan and, and all the scary things that Satanists are doing. And I'm like, did you see the passion of the Christ? <laughs> like, <laughs> like out of all the things that like God did. Bloody, out of all right? the things. Like, trauma, I tell you. 
he turned water to wine, apparently, he walked on water. None of those could be the memorabilia. Like, yeah, like, like a little a little wine glass. <laughs> that'd be yeah. that'd be cool. <laughs> some heat on some waves. <laughs> a wine glass. Oh my gosh. A wine glass would be that's hilarious. I'd wear it. <laughs> There is an alternate universe with that. Like, there's not a doubt yes. in my mind. <laughs> hey, maybe that's the universe that we would be believers in, actually. Um, maybe. Maybe that's the missing piece. Uh, but yeah, all, all of the talk, especially about uh, in regards to mind control, you know, it, it reminds me, there's this um, Voltaire quote that says, um, God isn't real. But don't tell that to my slave. So that way we can avoid him coming to kill me in the night. And so just understanding that it's a tool like that's Okay, so that's just a quote from some guy. But I think it's really insightful to under, to, to even have that perspective that, you know, people in power understand that this is a tool. Um, it kind of reminds me of the movie Book of Eli. Have either of you guys seen that movie? Book of Eli? I actually have not seen that movie. No, I saw it a while ago and like forgot what it was like. I was too young to like know understand what was going on type thing. I but cannot yeah. believe that out of the three of us, I'm the only one who has seen the Book of Eli. <laughs> I need to. I need to look this up. The moment you have it's a Denzel time, movie, right? It is a Denzel movie, and it's so profound, especially like in the context of religion, and especially uh, to people who have deconstructed, because it's okay. no, no, no. I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to ruin it. I want to go into it. But I, I want you to go into it blind, actually. Um, yes, you got to see it. it. I will watch it. It's I'll watch it this week and let you know. Yes, perfect. It is related to <laughs> what I just said. Just know that. And um, yeah, it's, it's a tool for power. And I, I kind of can't I, unsee I agree that. With I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm just saying I didn't see that until the, the Trump presidency. Like, when it was very clear that he wasn't a Christian. Like, when he would say things like two Corinthians or... Or hold the Bible up upside down, or whatever the hell he was doing. Like it was very clear that he was not a Christian, and that he just aligned with Christianity in order to like further his political platform. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like to to going and like having you know officers just like rush people out off the front lawn and like going and posing in front of the church with a Bible, just to be like, oh yeah, Trump is holding up the word of God. He's doing the right thing. Like I saw that so I was like, oh, this guy's not even a Christian. He doesn't even believe this shit. Yeah. I think it's tough, you know, because I, I, I say often, you know, Christianity or the Bible is used as a tool of oppression and control. And to say that as a blanket statement, um, a lot of people kind of like to push back on that because they say, well, not everybody who's, you know, not all preachers or church leaders a lot are, are, are using it for that. A lot of them really believe, they genuinely believe what they're preaching. And I have a really tough time with that because I think that there is kind of like a like a level system, you know, when you get so high up on that, 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 uh, ladder ring, like you do realize it, you do realize that it can be used as a tool. And I think there are a lot of people high up that are using Christianity, um, as a tool for oppression and control. And then it just trickles down and you have church leaders. I think that, um, intentionally use it to feel superior or to gain control of their congregation. And then you have church leaders that really do believe it because somebody above them 
who wanted to control them fed them that. And so now they are unintentionally perpetuating that tool of oppression and control. And it's it, it makes it so complicated because I think there are so many people that are using it to control others and don't even realize that they're doing yeah. it because they've been so heavily indoctrinated and they really do believe it. But at some point, uh, you know, kind of circling back to that kind of inherent supremacy in the doctrine, it's, at some point you, you do kind of realize that you're better than everyone else, that you have the right way and that everybody else just needs to get in line or go to hell, <laughs> you know, Literally. and it, it, I feel like it, yeah. And it becomes that. Um, and so it's, it's so complicated too, because I know that indoctrination is so real and that indoctrinated people go on to perpetuate that. Um, and mm -hmm. so at what point does it, does it go past indoctrination and into well, I'm using this for my own gain. I feel like that that line is like so obscure, you know. Yeah, and I feel like that's really why I try to key in on like ideas. When I'm talking, like what is, what does this idea imply? Mm -hmm. Like when you when you embody or employ this idea, how does it impact how you treat other people? How does it impact how you treat yourself? Because right. I think people just get defensive when you like. When you try to say that, or you know, people are using it to control people, or whatever the case may be, but it's in the theology, right, for people to to exact that kind of control over people. Right. It's in the theology that everyone else is lost, that it's your job to go and mm -hmm. help them, you know, and like, and so like, it is tricky because indoctrination is real, and I think people don't. I feel like I need to start using that word more and like. And bringing it, bringing it up more in my videos because I, I don't think people understand sometimes how how deep it can get. Mm -hmm. Like with when you're when everyone in your lineage is, ever, you know, what I'm saying that's that's the impact of colonization. That is the impact, right? It's not that like people don't want to um, explore. Uh, I feel like people feel like they can't explore other ideas because it's this is the only thing they've ever known. Like people. Who deconstruct or challenge the ideas that they've long held for their entire life i feel like it's it's really it can be like a life or death thing like when the dominoes start to fall like you yeah. can really lose it and i've you seen lose it everything like I've seen, yeah you can lose yeah. you can lose it all you know lose your family um, you lose your entire life around this idea yep. yeah lose your family you it's lose like generations friends. of indoctrination and like everyone that you've ever known has only believed this one thing and you're in church four to five times a week, and you've been in church since you were a baby. A pew baby is what they, what we used to call it. I don't know what they call it now, but like, <laughs> you, like you literally from a baby, you're sitting on a pew in the bassinet next to your mom, and you're hearing the preacher preach, even if you don't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, this has been happening for generations and generations, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So when people like get in my comments and be like, why, why do you, why can't people just like let go of this? It's like, I, the 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 um the privilege to be able to just discard something because it wasn't like mm -hmm. forced over you for generations and generations is it is a privilege. It's a privilege to be like oh, I don't this isn't working for me. There are people that want to do that and just simply cannot. Mm. And I think that's what people don't get sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I I mean and. It, it, 
the impacts of indoctrination, I think, I don't even think any, any of us could even really fully comprehend, you know, mm -hmm. the impacts on individuals, on societies, on communities, on relationships, on mental health, on every, every aspect of, of our existence. I mean, this, this religious indoctrination, especially in the United States with Christianity is so integrated into everything. It's on our like dollar every, bill. Everything. Exactly. It's, it's everything. And it's so, and it's so crazy how people do come into our comments and they're like, why do you care? Why, why let people believe what they want to believe? Why does it matter? And it's, it's because so few people truly understand how deep this goes. I don't even fully understand. I'm still mm -hmm. learning how deep this goes and how this impacts all of us. And it's so crucial. And if it's, not true and if it's harmful if it is a lie we need we need to fix this like we otherwise it's going to destroy us i mean it really will um you know just every every facet of it um it's just so widespread and people people really don't realize that they don't realize how deep the indoctrination goes and how um how it affects people and society and how it's real, all real connected uh-huh yep mm-hmm like the first time that I realized, like I, I kind of knew for myself, like that this was like, okay, like, you know, it, helping people process this, sharing this information is important. People are, it's helping people. Like I made it, when the, um, the war on Ukraine started, um, I, I personally knew because I grew up in the church and I think that's what kind of helps and informs our perspective is that we all, we come from those, the, the, the deep, the depth of those places and we know what the kind of ideas are so i knew as soon as this war started that people were going to fear monger and be like see th there's a war going end on times. <laughs> end times and so i made a video anticipating that yeah like, hey if you are experiencing anxiety do what you need to do take the like i kind of but just made a video trying you know trying to get people to be okay and not be kind of the anxiety because even when you're deconstructing and even if you've left the church, like stuff like this is what gets people back. That's what happened after nine 11. Mm -hmm. Like we saw yep. a surge in people going back to church. Mm. Um, and so I knew that people were going to do that, but uh, someone commented and was like, thank you for making this video. The anxiety was becoming too much. I was going to kill myself. Wow. Like the anxiety of Ooh. like, it's happening. The end of the world is here. That's like so got her to that place. You know what I'm saying? And like just me making that video, just it was a 59 second video. It was a quick, like, you know, I just put it up there and it saved someone's life. And that's, I feel like that's when I realized like, this is like life or death kind of stuff. And it's important. It's that important for us to have these conversations. Yeah. Wow. thousand percent that is that's heavy yeah you know what's interesting is that um you know the very first phrase that just came to my mind when you said that Donnell, was that you're doing the lord's work right which is <laughs> <laughs> which is like i mean it's like the the irony of it all is you know once you kind of deconstruct and you kind of understand um like what you just said about you just kind of understood the the nature of of uh, this, this human nature element and like okay there's this thing happening here and you were just empathetic you were tapped in to what people needed at that moment and you served that need 
And so even the concept of, you know, that somehow there's some God that is, is going to ignore all of that. Donnell saved someone's life. We're not even going to count that. It's, <laughs> it's, he said he was a pluralist and that's what we're going to focus on. <laughs> I mean, you know, so no, uh, if there is a, if there is a God, if there is, you know, if we're, if we're going to entertain Pascal, there is a heaven, then I think that a good God would understand that you're doing the Lord's work. And, and that's like a revelation of it right there. And that's really impactful and so cool. And that's why like making content is amazing. Like the level of impact that we have is bar none. And even though, you know, I'm, I don't know about you guys, hopefully it's been all roses and rainbows for you. But for me, even though there is a lot of bullshit that comes with TikTok as a platform every now and then, ultimately it's worth it because of because of that impact. But I also feel that the content that I make is not as contentious as the content that uh, the two of you make. I mean, what was that phrase where it's like, you know, don't talk about it's like race, religion, politics, money. Politics. <laughs> I, I think there's a fifth one in there, something. Um, and you guys are literally talking about that stuff. Donnell is talking about two of those, two out of the four or two out of the five. And he's tallying. Yeah. Probably a few more. Exactly. I know you get some tithing in there. So I think that goes with money. Yeah. yeah. And so how That's has That's when I get the most been? hate, by the way. When you're really? talking about tithing? Oh, yeah. That's when people wow. get, because I so feel weird. like it comes from an anger of like, I've been doing this my whole I've life. I've been doing this. Be right. Yeah. I gave so much of my money away. This has to be true. So me saying yeah. like, hey, save your money. Help yourself. Make sure you can pay your bills. It's like, you know, people just get up in arms about that more than anything else. Wow. I wouldn't have expected that, honestly. I wouldn't have either. But yeah, I just, uh, as far as like, how has that been like? Um, like, it's... I'd be concerned because, like, I, I do talk about white supremacy a lot. You know what I'm saying? And, like, that's, I know that's something that's really, really divisive. The race thing, people don't want to hear about the race thing, you know? You would say more um, so than religion? The, um, I feel like it's a, a double whammy because I talk about them intersectionally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I say, like, brave, oh, brave. So when I talk about the religion of white supremacy in the United States um, by Eric <laughs> Weed, it's like, what it's like <laughs> you know this <laughs> people have this like kind of visceral reaction but like i feel like i've been i've gotten better at it with it like i feel like because i was again because i was in that space i'm able to anticipate what people are going to say in the comments mm. and i respond in my video anticipating what people are going to say in the comments so when they do say that in the comments they just look you know ridiculous and <laughs> people also just do a good job of like when when that happens, when people clearly didn't watch the video because they just like reacted knee jerkly to the first fifteen seconds or whatever, um, like people also like the community, they hop into the comments and they like you know they have their back and forth and their arguments. Um, but I just try to I, I block people. You know what I'm saying I I really believe in the block ministry. Like that is I feel like that is also the Lord's work. Like um, I don't believe in going back at, like my because my I'm not trying to reach people who are fully just like just closed off. Right. Because I know that I can, I know personally that I can't reach you. I can't even reach people that I know in my day-to-day -day life. Like 
and I don't try to. I just make my content, and you know, people get weird around me, and it's like, you know, that's that guy. He's doing the thing. <laughs> Deconstructing. Um, but like I, I, um, I feel like I just try to. I anticipate the um, what people are going to say, and I block people, and just really believe in like I'm trying to reach people who are on the fence. Exactly. Who are questioning who are curious. I'm trying to provide space for people to ask questions and provide space for people to interrogate a free, like, because I didn't have that until I went to graduate school. Hmm. At no point in my life did I feel safe asking the questions as I had them in my mind until I went to graduate school, seminary. We had to, that was the work. We were doing the work of unpacking these ideas. Um, so I was like, I need, people need this information and people also need a safe space where they can come in the comments and say, hey, they, they can tag me in videos and say, hey, what are your thoughts about this? And Or they can make a comment and they people in the other in the comments are having conversations with each other. Like, that's what's exciting to me. Like, that people, it's not just about people coming to watch me and people coming to see me. It's about people finding like-minded people in the comments and connecting with people that they didn't, you know, and highlighting other platforms that they could go and watch and things like that. I think it's important to stay focused on that that goal of, you know, who am I, who am I talking to right now? Who am mm -hmm. I trying to reach? Because I think a lot of people, um, when they see content like ours, which is very controversial, you know, um, and we're kind of biting back on, on some, some very traditional things. People think that we're just like out here trying to change everybody's mind or, you know, yeah. I'm trying to convert everyone to atheism or I'm <laughs> trying to get everyone to stop being Christian. And I tell people all the time, like my content is not for Christians. It's not for people who are happy and want to stay in their faith and do what they do. Like I can't change anybody's mind. And there was a point in my life when mm -hmm. I wanted to change people's minds. I, I still had that evangelist kind of mindset. Mm. You know, I was yeah. taught as a teenager, you have to save people. You have to convince people. If you love people, you will share the truth with them. And so I was indoctrinated with that. And then leaving Christianity, I didn't lose that zeal or passion, you know? And so that just translated into me wanting to to get people to to understand my point of view or or whatever and now i'm at the point where i realize like you can't you can't live your life trying to change people like let people live but my content is for people who are in a space where they're like I don't know what I believe. I'm confused. I'm questioning. I'm afraid. I have all these thoughts, but I don't know what to do with them um, where I once was. You know, I think a lot of times mm -hmm. when I'm making content, I feel like I'm just talking to my younger self, you know, like I'm just like telling my younger self things yeah. um, because they're all things that I used to believe and things that I struggled with. And so, you know, I struggle a lot with, um, you know, because there's so much negativity and hate and backlash and this is a really difficult topic for people to like really civilly discuss. Um, I just have to remind myself, you know, to stay focused on who I'm trying to help. And though it can feel as though this is a very negative thing, you know, it feels like sometimes I'm doing something very negative um, and, and angry because I get comments all day where people are like, you're so negative, you're so angry, you're so hateful. Um, but I have to remember that what I'm talking about is inherently negative and I'm trying to create something positive from that and create something positive mm. for people who have been impacted by that, you know? Um, so kind of keeping your eye on, you know, the, the purpose and the mission, which is helping people who are in that space where 
they just want a question. They want to use their critical thought, but they don't know how to, you know, they want to hear somebody say something blasphemous because it feels good, you know, to break away from, you know, from the tradition. It's, it's, it's good to hear other voices. And I think we need as many voices talking about this, you know, as possible, especially in the black community. Danelle, that's why I love what you do, because I just don't think that there are enough um, people in the black community that are actually talking about this. We need more black voices talking about the deconstruction, about the white supremacy, about the the colonization of the entire system. Um, I think it's really important. Yeah, I always say that, like, <clears throat> it's, I heard this idea that uh, of someone say, I'm, I don't try to tell people what to think, but how to think. How to think. Yeah. Same. Um, and I was like, that makes perfect sense. Like I'm not mm -hmm. telling, saying you have to think in this way. I'm I'm making, I'm providing a platform for you to think about like, okay, we have this belief. How does this impact this person? Who does mm -hmm. it leave out? Who is harmed by this idea? Right. And how do we like um, excavate it or toss it, toss it out or, you know, I think that's kind of the work. And I think one of the most validating things that we see, um, I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen this comment a lot, like, oh, I, I didn't know, this is exactly what I've been thinking, or I didn't know how to put this into words until you said this. Like, people say that in my comments all the time. That's like such a validating thing, because I know that people mm -hmm. are, have all these ideas kind of floating, off, floating up there, and they're trying to, like, it's the most difficult thing to get from a place of, black and white thinking to nuance and the gray mm. like that that leap is is really really difficult right especially when the indoctrination is really heavy um or you know you've been in church your whole life and your great your grandmother was a preacher and your great grandmother was a minister and your great 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 you know started the started whatever church um and so, the stakes are so high i mean you're it's yeah. eternal life you Eternal. know yeah oh. damnation is on the line so yeah it's a big leap <laughs> and i know that black people like don't talk about this stuff out loud as much because of that because like yeah. the the indoctrination and the generational you know legacy of it all is just the weight is different um yeah. and they know and people like I know that my relationships have been impacted by it. Like people will say like, oh yeah, everything's fine. But like, I know that people are treating me differently. I know that I don't hear from people as much. I know that things are changing in that regard. And I have my community, like, you know, I have an amazing wife and I have great friends and I have family like that, you know, that I still love and that I'm in a relationship with. Um, but some of that stuff has been altered and this is kind of, and the people that I'd never imagined I would be out of relationship with, I'm out of relationship with. You know what I'm saying? So like, there's a lot at stake. Um, but I, I know that this is important work. I know that it has to be done, and I have the gift of the of the crit critical thinking and the curiosity, and um, it's helping people. You know, you're living in your truth. That's like the yeah. that's what it ultimately came down to for me because I mean, Christy's exactly right. Um, there seems to be in the black community kind of like this particular, particularly strong aversion to even agnosticism is kind of like, what? 
<laughs> it's like, I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, honestly, depending on... I don't believe in nothing. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, and even, even like, just being Catholic even is kind of like a, a jump. And, like, just, you know, living outside of the Matrix in any way is kind of mm-hmm. a big jump. And, yeah, I ultimately do think it's because it's, like, connected to... The church was like our community, right? So uh, being a minority race, right? There's like 13% of us, right? So for a lot of people in the country, when you move somewhere and you're a part of a minority race, you want it, you're you're wanting to find a place where you can kind of lay your head and relax. And a lot of times that is the church. You find a black church, you're going to be surrounded by by other people that have your race. And it's not just black, you know, um, people of all races do the same thing. We We have... Uh, Chinese Catholic churches. We have, I mean, it's any race uh, or any, yeah, any race, they typically have a church system that where like their race is dominant. And so it, it, it adds this additional layer of like, okay, we're not just talking about the religion itself, but we're also talking about community is on the line. And that's also why it's so scary. I'm, I'm almost willing to bet that that is equally as scary as damnation. You know, the idea that if you come out about these thoughts that you have, hey, I've been questioning, I don't know if hell is real. If you come out about that, your parents might disown you. Your friends might disown you. Your girlfriend might not want to be with you anymore. Um, so much is at stake. And and I think that the the fact that community is a part, is, is wrapped up in all of that is like huge. I remember telling my parents, I sat them down maybe like two or three years ago and I just had to tell them the truth, you know, that like, hey, the universal source doesn't talk to me in this way. (laughs) And I just had to say, like, it's just the way it is. I don't I don't know what to what to what to say other than that. You know, like I can go to church. I have right. Obviously, 18 years of it. I can go to church. I can be there for hours because the the black services are are known to be long. Actually, I think it might even be a Southern thing. I think the Southern churches are also long. Um, So, I mean, you know, you could be there for hours and hours. Hey, that is nothing. What what I get from that spiritually is nothing compared to when I spend even just 30 minutes in nature. That is where I feel God. Mm-hmm. That is where I feel connected. Is when I am immer- when my feet are touching the ground. When I'm walking and I'm I'm aware of the breeze on my skin and I understand and I just feel mm. so appreciative for life and how everything is connected and all the people who I love in my life and that's where it is for me. And I'm not gonna hide it anymore. I told mm-hmm. them. I said every Sunday I'm going to the park. That's what I'm doing because ultimately I believe that the relationship that someone has with the universal source is is it's theirs it should be custom it should be personal it should be intimate and ultimately it has nothing to do with your girlfriend or your parents or your friends it's this is none of your business really this is a relationship that i have with the eternal source and that's just it is what it is So whatever judgments they had of that, whatever judgments anyone has of that, hey, you take that up with who you think is in charge. (laughs) But I'm going to do what feels right to me 
And what I've noticed Literally. and observed feels great and puts me in this appreciative state and makes me want to help the world and all of these positive things. I'm going to go in that direction. You go in whatever direction you want, but it definitely takes confidence to do that. I, it was a big deal oh, yeah. for me when I did it. I, um, I speak just speaking to your, yes, I, I think that it's a unique personal thing that is tailored to your own experiences and i think the issue comes in when we try to like people think that oh the the proof of christianity being all over the world and that there are whatever two billion christians is proof of like some sort of like the, the impact and the importance of the faith but it's just proof of colonialism one mm -hmm. and religious uniformity is uniformity in general is just also a is also white supremacy like this idea that everyone has to think the same thoughts and have the same yep. ideas and have the same mind frames that is a that is a part of white supremacist framing of religion um like because in west africa they believed in syncretism like individual people but like they had held certain beliefs and they also did a little bit of this and they did a little bit of that like they combined tr traditions and practices and rituals um that were custom to their thing and it was never about oh we believe in this the akan people are going to go and colonize everyone who doesn't believe in the akan tradition or who doesn't believe in th this specific tradition it was all local and it was um um it wasn't like anyone could join it it was like a really secretive kind of like that's how a lot of these early traditions and religious uh, practices were so how we got from there to everyone must believe the same thing. Everyone must be doing the same thing. I point back to the papal bull, the, you know, the Catholic church and just this idea that everyone has to, uh, uh, practice the Christian faith, but it's, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, you're good. I, w I was just going to add to that and say, you know, if, if you can get everyone on the same page, thinking the same way, looking the same way, acting the same way, it becomes a lot easier to control that yeah. group of people. Um, <laughs> and it's funny, if you look back at, you know, Constantine, when Constantine, you know, made Christianity the state religion, um, he, in his writings, he even said, you know, this will give me great military power. This will give me great control. If we can get everybody on the same page, I think that we'll be able to be more successful. And that's, that's the goal, right? Just get everyone as, you know, kind of a mindless, you know, faithful robot. Mm -hmm. Automaton. <laughs> you know? And yeah. then you can, then you can just program them and then they're going, you know, then pair that with the political ideologies and you've got a great recipe for a large group of people that you can control. You can get to believe whatever you want. You can get them to do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want to them and they're going to mm -hmm. accept it. Um, and that that is such a, a big issue with Christi with religion in general, but Christianity that, you know, it's this is this is what we're like. This is what we think. This is how we speak. This is how we behave. And it allows no room for that individualism. It allows no room for the, the difference in how our brains work and our experiences and all of the nuance in humanity. And I think everyone would be better off if we could all just kind of look inside, look around us, stay rooted in the reality that we are living here and Kind of create our spirituality from that you know i love what you said felicia about like going into nature i'm a big hiker i love being outdoors you know and i get 
so much more from a hike in nature than I ever got in a church. And I just feel like if there is a universal source, a God or, or anything beyond us that did intentionally put us here, then I feel like we're meant, our purpose is meant to, to, to interact with the reality that we're living in here. You know, so many people want to focus on seeking outside of themselves, what's outside of the universe, what's beyond us. And I can appreciate it. I can understand it. It's a natural human thing, but a big part of my deconstruction has been what, what, what can, how can I apply spirituality to my surroundings? How can I interact with people and experience, you know, spirituality? How can I interact with nature and experience spirituality? It's an individual experience. And I think each and every person is going to find different things that kind of enlighten them. Um, and that's the point, right? right. <laughs> it's about like interacting with the reality that we live here and everybody kind of deciding for themselves what path feels most, most authentic to them, but that doesn't help, you know, people who are trying to <laughs> control mass groups of people. Yeah. I, I really think that it's a journey back home to yourself. Like yeah. ultimately, I think that's what we all should be. That's the framing that we should have about religion and spirituality. If we do have yeah. that, is that like we it's a journey back home to self, like you come mm -hmm. into this world, you're taught what to think, what to believe, what to say, how to act. But then as you get older and you have the maturity and you can like understand things and you can think critically about things, it's like, okay, like wh where am I? Does, is this actually helping me? Mm. Cause I know people who shouldn't be Christian who, <laughs> who profess it and who stand by it, but they shouldn't be it because it's not making them a better person. Right. Like they're, they're legit legitimately stuck in this place because they're misaligned. They're out of alignment with who they're supposed to be. And so they, and so that, creates the anger and the bitterness and the mm. whatever the negative qualities you see coming out of people it's because you're not where you're supposed to be and for whatever reason indoctrination or otherwise like you can't or won't look outside of this thing that is clearly not very working clearly not helping you become better or grow you know absolutely and that i think that that is um that's not talked about enough right is that so, so I'll say this. So my dad's a pastor and uh, similar to your story, Donnell, it, it worked for my dad and my mom. I mean, there's, there's no other way to say it. It, it really worked for them. So they, neither of them were churchgoers. Um, they met each other in a church and they decided to use the church and Christianity as the uh, kind of like impetus for them becoming better people. And it worked. <laughs> like it, it just uh -huh. actually worked for them right but we have to be able to understand that we can't assume that any one thing is going to work for everyone right like oh. everyone is so different so how could and and this god made us different so how does it make sense that we can all even communicate with this God figure in the same way. And it almost even seems a little like hubris of a human, in my opinion, to limit the power of God and to say like, no, God can't talk to you through uh, Islam. God can't talk to you through nature. That's kind of like hubris, in my opinion. How, it's it's kind of like, how dare you, right? Like, do you believe that this God is all powerful or not? Is, is he omnipotent or not? You got to pick a side. You can't believe he's omnipotent but be like and he can is he everywhere or not is, is he everywhere or not we have to pick a side <laughs> um so yeah <laughs>
I speaking to your point earlier about the um like black people's aversion to agnosticism. Like I feel like when I started deconstructing and I started learning about the history and I was like, oh, black atheism makes sense. You know? <laughs> and then... <laughs> you don't hear those two but words I... together like that. No. Yeah, yeah, those are never hyphenated. No, but there's a and I didn't hear it for the first time together until I was in seminary. I wrote a I read a book. Uh, we were assigned to read a book that I um, that I read called Moral Combat: so Black Atheist Gender Politics and the Values Wars um, by a black woman talking about. And, and one of the things she talked about was like, like to be an atheist in the black like you're a minority within the minority. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and so you automatically you become a black sheep. You people make assumptions about your character people assume that you have no moral compass because you don't have heaven or hell to believe in mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. people don't include you in community you're less able to go and be a part of community oriented things because those things typically revolve around church or some sort of religious thing. even people who aren't uh christian they, they'll go to church on easter they'll go to church on, because it's like kind of a cultural thing to do um so when you when you a black atheist says oh i don't believe in anything <laughs> And this is what works for me. This is what, and, they, and it's like, they could be great people, but like you will immediately make the mental jump of like, oh, you're, what are you into? Like, what's going on with you? You don't believe in nothing at all. Like, um, and I wish we, I, I really want to like destigmatize some of the conversation around um, atheism or agnosticism in general. And that's why I follow so many like uh, creators who identify as such because like, um, one, like Christie's a great person. Like Christie has been super supportive and like from early on and like ha has always just been nice and kind and really gracious. And she gets painted as like this Satan witch person. <laughs> Angry I'm not sure that she had to like make t-shirts. <laughs> I saw the t-shirts. That was so funny. Yeah, the t-shirts. Uh, I was like... It's like, oh, we're not dealing with the same person, but it's like, it's not about dealing with the same person. It's about like the presumptions that come with certain beliefs uh, or certain uh, belief systems or ideologies. Um, well, when you have, you know, the, this kind of idea within Christianity that what you believe is what determines where you go in the afterlife or determines your standing with God. It's not, it's, it's really not about what you do or how you behave. Mm -hmm. It's what you believe. Do you believe in Jesus or do you not believe in Jesus? If you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. If you do believe in Jesus, you're going to heaven, you know? And there's a lot of nuance even within Christianity there, I know, but it really does boil down to, for most Christians, what do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Okay, well then you're good to go. All you have to do is believe in Jesus. And so- It can be terrible. Yeah, yeah. And so your belief <laughs> is determining your moral standing. And so when people see that somebody is an atheist or labeling themselves as an atheist, it's, you know, they don't see anything else other than, oh, you don't believe. And that is the worst possible thing you could do. And that is like, now that I'm out of it and I'm so deconstructed, I'm just like- that is such a bizarre way to look mm -hmm. at things. That is so insane that it's like what you believe determines who you are as a person, your your moral standing. And so I 
I wrestled a lot with, do I use the term atheist? Do I throw it out? You know, but I really think it's important to kind of show people that like atheism isn't this, this evil satanic thing that they taught us about in church. It doesn't mean that we're bad people. It doesn't mean we don't have ethics or, or morals, you know, that you can be a good person and be an atheist. Being an atheist just means you don't have a belief in God and there's nothing immoral about not believing in something not believing in something shouldn't be a punishable offense and i really mm -hmm. think more people need to understand that you know because to me it seems like such a simple concept that so few people even not super religious people i mean there will be people that are like you know oh i'm i'm spiritual i'm not a christian but i would never be an atheist <laughs> you know because there's such a stigma on it like how yeah, dare really, you really not is. believe in god <laughs> They really word, they conceptualize uh, being an atheist like being a Satanist. It's like, you know, that's oh, like it its is. own yeah. religion, <laughs> right? Like there are actual yeah. Satanists. Like, so. And there are theistic Satanists that believe in Satan and do the whole Satan worship. But then there are, are most Satanists are atheists. You know, most Satanists mm -hmm. are just, Satan is kind of their, you know, the, the mascot basically, right. you know, for, for their practice. But, um, you know, it's, it is, um, I know like growing up, I was always taught that like, like I, it was, it was, I was in Southern Baptist church and I'm, I'm bisexual, you know, I was very closeted for, you know, growing up, but like it, to, to my church, it would have been like worse to be an atheist than to be gay, you know, like mm. at least if you're gay, you no. can still believe in Jesus, yeah. you know, but if you're an atheist, you are beyond repair there's no coming back from that you're just screwed you know so i really i i, I definitely want to like destigmatize that um i think there are some states I, I could be wrong about this but i think there are some states where like legally atheists can't run for office which is i think they're like old laws that never got changed you know but i don't i don't know if any of them are, are still upheld but that's just so strange to me you know in this this kind of stigma that's placed even on agnostics people that don't believe or you know um or you know a lot of people think agnosticism is being on the fence it's like you have to pick a side you have to believe you know you can't you can't you can't just kind of live in a state of I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. how many people in church are actually agnostic? You know, like there's probably like the vast, pick any church, the vast majority mm -hmm. of people there to themselves in their own hearts, they don't know. So, so yeah. now mm -hmm. we're playing with the word. I would argue like, they're all agnostic. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. Aren't we all they just won't admit it? <laughs> I mean, until we actually yeah. get to the other side and we see what is there, we are operating on belief. That's why it requires faith is because mm -hmm. we don't know. So so once again, right, it's kind of like pick a side. Like if we can acknowledge that it requires faith, that by definition means that we don't know. But we we can't really reconcile those those ideas all the time. And yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like it does a lot of damage. Um, I feel like it does a lot of damage, like just putting people in a corner and making them pick a side when like the truth mm -hmm. is so obviously unknown. And I think that a lot of it is just, you know, like we have a fear of the unknown and that's, that's all it is. So we want to believe in something so that we know. Um, but you know, the alternative is, or we could kind of get comfortable in the unknown. Like, and, and I think that that's why, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would label myself an agnostic, but I don't know. I don't probably just because I'm, I'm kind of anti-labels, but 
hey, I get it. And I love that about agnosticism is this kind of like embracing the unknown. Like, yeah, no, I don't know. And I feel like that's very liberating I, out of all of them. I would say that that is like the most liberating in my humble opinion, because it's embracing the idea of like, it's okay to not know. Mm-hmm. That was such a big part. Like when you're a Christian, like you have all the answers. Mm-hmm. You have every answer to every question, all of life's mysteries, like you know all the answers and you're like, you're one of the people, like you're one of the, the you know, the many and the few, you're one of the few that has the answers and that you need to go help the many and get as many people over to the path as possible. But like, I remember, I remember someone asked me a question and like, like um, about religion or during my deconstruction when I was making videos and I made a video saying, I, I don't know. And that's like, it's kind of it was scary at that point to be like oh i don't i don't really know i don't really know if this thing is real or not like um and i don't know I, i'm trying to figure it out and i'm trying to, i'm doing the work i'm still I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lifelong student and learner right um so i'm going to remain curious but at the present moment i don't know and i and that was the video that i made um as opposed to like trying to like have this answer and it took me a long time to make that video because i was like I can't make a video saying I don't know. Then <laughs> people, it's gonna like it's gonna like disrupt my credibility or something. Or, um, yeah, m- m- we don't know. And I, I think there, there is. I never heard it uh, argued that way that it could that everyone is agnostic. But that's kind of the point, right? We none of us know, and we're we're having faith about this thing. But we say that we know, like we we think we know what happens after we die. Like I remember watching like these near death experience videos and. People being like, yeah, like I was, I was in hell for two hours and then, you know, I came back and <laughs> I had to change my life. It's like, but you didn't die though. So you still don't know. Like I'm not You even... had a dream. <laughs> yeah, that's you like, had you a nightmare. Still you still don't know. You had a nightmare that was influenced by the religious yeah. indoctrination from like years of believing this idea of, of what would happen when you died. Right. But you still don't know. Like, so Living in the unknown is very scary. People don't want to admit that. And I, I I, think not only is it just scary, but people don't like admitting they don't know because it makes them feel, you know, like uh, inadequate, you know, <laughs> like somebody else has the answers inferior. and I don't have the answers. It's, yeah, infer- it's so crazy how people, you know, they'll come to my comments and they'll say things like, well, you know, where did we come from? Where, what's the purpose? Where, where, you know, all of these like life's biggest questions, like I'm supposed to just have an answer. And when I say, I have no idea, um, you know, they say, they think it's like a gotcha, like, ha, well, see, you don't know. So what are you talking about? And it's like, they would rather come up with any answer than live with no answer. Have and, no answer yeah. yeah. Wow. And it, because it, it is wow. scary to have no answer. And I get that. And I, ha- it took me a long time to get to a point where I'm like, I, I really don't know. And maybe I could just be comfortable with not knowing. Like, why do I have to spend my life trying to seek something that, if it exists, has intentionally made itself unknowable? Because if, if it, if, if, if it existed and it wanted to be known, we would know it, but none of us know it. And so mm-hmm. I just feel like the most honest place I can land is I don't know. And I'm open. I love being open to all of the ideas and the possibilities. I love talking about all of the possibilities that could be. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I 
I have to be honest with myself and just, just say, I don't know. And to me, that is very liberating. And I feel like it would be kind of boring if we really did just have all of the answers, you know, yeah. like I've talked about it before in, in past videos about, you know, like all of the, the art and stories and things that we create just based on life's greatest questions, you know, our purpose and what is love? What is the meaning of all of this? Where did we come from? You know, so much of what we create and do is like centered around these great questions. And I think that's really cool. I think that that kind of keeps us moving, keeps us going. Um, I like that we don't have all of the answers and it took me a long time to get there. But when you're indoctrinated into an environment that says, we have all of the answers, here you go. Um, it can be very difficult to break free from that mindset that you have to know everything. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is really beautiful, I think. And like, just profound to to even have that perspective of it being a good thing um, that we don't know because of all of like the byproducts that, you know, the beautiful byproducts that come from that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think that, that that makes a lot of sense. That's really cool. That's a very cool perspective. Yeah, it's so, so interesting. Just thinking, thinking of it all, it's, it's almost like um, impossible to ever uncover it all and ever get to like the center of, of the entire conversation, right? Because it's so loaded in, in so many different ways. Um, and I wanted to uh, actually bring this thing up uh, with Christy in mind, actually. I, I wondered if you had heard of this uh, Bertrand Russell's teapot. Had I, have either of you heard of this? <laughs> okay. So for the folks, for the folks uh, listening who do, do not know, right, it's, it's essentially this thought experiment. Um, and I, I'd love uh, you guys' uh, takes on it. So it's this thought experiment that basically tries to uh, get us to the point of understanding who the burden of proof uh, lies on, right? So, so the thought experiment goes like, let's, let's say I came up to you and I told you that there's a teapot orbiting the sun. We can't see it. And because it's so small, we can't even observe it, but it's there. And so this thought experiment basically says that the burden of proof lies on the people, on the person, myself in this example, claiming that it exists, right? It is my job to prove to you that there is a teapot there. It's not your job to uh, somehow like just believe it without thought, right? And when we, I love that thought experiment because we can extrapolate it out to like so many different things, right? Like let's say I just told you that, you know, there's some island across the world that no one's ever been to and you can't ask any questions about it. I'm just telling you it's true, right? It's like, no, I think in any other way besides religion, we understand that whoever is presenting the claim is re responsible for presenting the proof. But somehow uh, when it comes to religion, those roles are reversed. We are expected to accept things and, and to not question despite the lack of clear, obvious, or consistent evidence. And so, yeah, I, I wanted to pick you guys' brains on on that to see what you guys thought of that. I've always thought that was like an interesting one. Christy, prove there isn't a God. <laughs> yeah. Prove it. <laughs> it's your responsibility. Yeah, I get that one a lot. I definitely get that one a lot. Um, well, you know, 
unfortunately, because we live in a world where the default is God, you know, people don't, a lot of people don't consider God a man-made concept. Um, that's like a really tough one for people to wrap their heads around, you know, because at some point somebody said there is a God, you know, and that was the claim. But a lot of people think like, oh, well, the default just is that there is a God, that we, that's what we all believe. That's how the universe works. We've believed it since the beginning of time. And so now you have to prove that that's not true. I feel like it's just almost like an argument from tradition, like, oh, well, God exists, duh, like, <laughs> duh, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, but when you get to that point where somebody is making, I mean, no matter what the claim is, like the person making the claim is the one that has the burden of proof. And to not believe in something is not to make a claim. Um, and that's what I tell people all the time. I, When I say I'm an atheist and I say I don't believe in God, I am not making the claim that God does not exist, that I could not make that claim. I couldn't prove that. I could never prove that God does not exist. That would be impossible for me to do. Um, it'd be a silly thing to ask me to do. And so my position is any claim that's brought to me, whether it's God or anything or the teapot or whatever it is, bring me a claim, provide your evidence, provide your proof, and then I'll examine it and decide if I believe it. But just making a claim, you know, isn't going to get me to believe it. And, you know, for me to not believe a claim being made without sufficient evidence is not, I, I don't need to back that up. I don't need to prove that I don't believe. I just don't, I don't believe it until you you give me reason to believe it. You know, people can walk up to me and say, the earth is flat. <laughs> and I don't believe that the earth is flat, <laughs> you know, so you need to provide me some evidence. You know, you got to provide sufficient reason for me to actually believe it. Otherwise, I'm just going to disbelieve it. I, I don't think it's true. you know. <laughs> and I have evidence to the contrary. I don't have evidence to the contrary of God. Uh, you know, I don't have any evidence that suggests God does not exist. And in fact, I think it's highly possible a God could exist. But you know, until then, it's just speculation. And until somebody can actually provide some hard evidence or proof, which I don't even know what that would look like. Um, mm -hmm. But until they can, I I'm just going to remain unconvinced. <laughs> I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I, think, <laughs> I think we reduce it uh, down to <laughs> that, that idea of like someone walking up to you and saying, hey, this thing exists. That's what evangelism is. Yeah, you know, it's it's walking up to people. I used to do it. We used to go, you know, walk down the street, go knock on people. I did it at the mall. And... <laughs> Are you prepared for Jehovah's return? Who's Jehovah? Oh, that's God. Well, I mean, where's where's Jehovah? It's like he's in your heart if you believe. Mm. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like when you reduce it down to like that basic. It kind of makes it even wilder to to think that people would just like accept this like universal like eternal salvation heaven hell god thing. Um, I feel like what's what's interesting about how things have changed in society at large is that like fear was a big motivator for people to believe in God, right? It's the Pascal's mm -hmm. wager thing. You, you can be right or wrong. Like, so you're gonna, I'm going to choose to be on the safe side of things. I'm going to choose to believe. When big global catastrophes happen, I'm going to, the fear is going to kick up and I'm going to go back to this belief. Even if I don't, even though I don't know, even though I'm technically agnostic and I don't know if God is real, like, this makes me feel safe because everyone else is doing it. There's, there's community attached to it. But the pandemic happened people stopped going to church mm -hmm. people started leaving the church like we're currently in the largest and fastest shift 
um, in history with people being like, mm, I'm not right about this. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people that are out there talking and sharing evidence. You know, people like Christy and myself and Dan McClellan and all these other people. It's like, wait, what? And I think the pandemic really made us because we couldn't physically. I mean, some people still went anyway and had like, you know, mass spreader events with their churches and like, yeah, we're going to believe God. And they all got sick. And then um, they all got sick. <laughs> okay. Um, I think when the pandemic happened and we couldn't go to church, I think that is what like shook a lot of people up and kind of expedited their journey back home to their self. Cause you're at home with your thoughts and there's no community. I mean, yeah, you're sitting in front of a computer watching a live stream, but it's you know it, it's changed drastically what you what you think about um it's because people have different perspectives and different proofs and different um evidences that assert other things right that's not this kind of black and white god thing um so that i feel like that's been an interesting like uh shift um i think more people are starting to realize like it's not it's not on me to try to make sense of this or try to have all the answers or try to prove that this that God exists or try to convince anyone else that God exists. Like if I, if I believe that God exists, like that's true for me. Right. And when I saw the question that you, like that you posed in the email, like, um, or one of the things that you said we want to talk about was like, is religion good or bad? Um, I think it depends on who you're asking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think the, the better, the, you know, the, the alternative question is, is religion good for for me? Is religion good for you? You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's an individual thing. Absolutely. You know, is God real? Uh, it's true for me because I've had these particular experiences that um, that are because people use personal experience as if their personal experience is supposed to convince me mm-hmm. or convince anyone else. That's your experience. That's not mine. I didn't have that. God didn't come and whisper to me in the night and you know called me to ministry and whatever else. Like. Um, I think there's there's a lot of like shift in that regard where people are realizing like this is a really individual thing and um what's true for me may not be true for you but we can still like have a conversation and it not be this like this war of like who has the better belief system or yeah is it helping you is are you are you a good person is it helping you are you okay <laughs> Right. <laughs> are you well? <laughs> you go to sleep at night. Are you scared of like? Exactly. Yeah. It's not a competition, uh-huh. you know. It's it's not. It's not a competition, and yeah, I wanted to say I ex- I absolutely love that idea <laughs> and that concept of you know this is about uh, ultimately like coming back home to yourself. I couldn't agree more with that sentiment. That I think that that's what it's about, and if you come back to yourself, like I'll say in the instance of my parents and you have observed that you're a better person with with this practice. And I also like, uh, I, I believe Donnell, it was you who made the distinction earlier that um, sometimes it's not the religion, it's the community, right? So it could even be something like my parents were in the, the right community that actually understood we are going to use this as a tool to actually make people better people, right? So sometimes it's mm-hmm. like, you're at a shitty church. Like that's like another thing, right? But the inner compass, I think, is always going to give you the information that you need to know. Is this good for you? Mm. Is this making you feel 
appreciative? Is this kind of putting you into a, a place of supremacy where you're thinking you're better than people? Is like those are the type of type of uh, internal questions that people can ask and arrive at whatever is true for them. Um, and yeah, people don't people don't even get a chance to trust their trust that internal compass because they're told that it's the devil leading them astray. Lean not on your own flesh. understanding. Mm. It's their flesh. It's your, you know, yeah. Lean not into your understanding. It's like, I've heard, I can't, I lost count of how many times I heard that scripture. Yeah. Growing up in church. And it's like this idea that like anything that you feel, if it feels not okay, it's like your flesh resisting. You know how dangerous that is? Like that is mm -hmm. so freaking, like it puts people in positions where they're getting abused, where they're getting like yep. taken advantage of. And it's because they know it doesn't feel right, but they feel like it's my sacrifice. I, Christ suffered, I have to suffer too. It's the ultimate gaslight. Yeah. You know, don't listen to that. Don't listen to your gut. Listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, all right. I think uh, this is a good place to probably start uh, inching towards uh, wrapping this up, but I have to indulge myself just once again. I have like a, a kind of a, a last question um, for both of you. What is it that you do believe then? You know, I remember for, for so I'll start with myself a few years ago. Um, like I said, grew up in the church. My dad, deacon, my mom, deaconess. Um, during the pandemic, my dad decides that he wants to have his own church. He is called to become a pastor. Okay, no problem. Until, you know, I start understanding what that must mean you know, the, the obligations that are then put on me as the child, right? As the pastor of a church, I'm sure you want your daughters there because the members of the church might get a little weirded out if your daughters don't believe, if your daughters aren't here. Um, and just, just the various levels of it. And a lot of it could have been even internalized with me, right? A lot of it isn't necessarily the things that my parents said, but things that I feared, right? I feared that something was going to be asked of me. I feared that I needed to now, you know, my, my dad is a pastor. So now I have to be a pastor's kid. Uh, even at my old ass age of at that time, what, 29 or something like that. Um, uh, I think I missed the boat of being a pastor's kid. But those were the internal thoughts and, and the fears. And so that kind of sent me down this deep rabbit hole of like, all right, Felicia, you're going to get clear what it is you believe in and so i've written tons and tons of journal articles about it and i like have a very clear understanding of what it is that i believe um but i want to know uh what, what you guys believe um I'll, I'll get to mine but i you know it's customary for the guests to to go first as you all know so um yeah i don't know let's start with you donnell what if you could wrap it up and it might not even be possible right and and also no pressure we should once again encourage you know accepting the unknown is an empowering thought um but if there is something that you believe what is it um so uh, a lot of different things but i would start with the idea that i believe in love like as a transformational like not just, you know, I know we use it a lot growing up in the church and everything, but I believe in, I try to, I alter it by saying I believe in radically inclusive, justice-centered love. Mm. Um, I believe in loving myself in that way. And so that like, um, and I believe in loving other people in that way. 
um, especially people who are on the on the fray, who are marginalized, who are oppressed, and all these different things. Um, but that's what I believe. Like that's one of the things that I held on to. Like when people to- when they told me in church that there is no greater commandment than love one another, I, I believed that. And I feel like that was the that was the issue. <laughs> that was the thing that led <laughs> to like my questions and my curiosity and my mm. um, interrogating my faith. Um, so I feel like where I'm at now is that I'm at a place where I can fully live into that. Right? I can love indiscriminately. I can love fully. I can you know see people and accept them for who they are without trying to change them. Um, I can love myself enough to. Um, um, hold on to what I believe in and to stand in my truth and to live in my truth. That, that to me is loving myself. So me doing this work, me being in this platform, even though it's like impacted relationships and impacted a lot of different things, like this is a part of my, my self love journey, getting back to trusting myself and trusting where I'm going and trusting my inclinations and intuitions. Um, and so I believe in that as far as like, and obviously I'm a pluralist. I believe in, um, I believe that there are ideas within different traditions that are, um, that can help us or that can help me, that have helped me to be a better person, that, that has helped me to love people better, that has helped me to be more empathetic and understanding and inclusive and that has helped me to be so like justice centered in like my, my understanding of spirituality. And I do believe that we're all connected. Um, I believe that we're, I'm connected to the tree and to the natures and to, and to the rocks and to the moons and to the stars. Like I believe that it's, you know, that we're all connected in that way. And a part of my, the way I, the way I honor that connection is by I'm leaning fully and radically into love, even when it, you know, looks very opposite to what, you know, is going on and what is happening in the culture. Um, so so that I think that's that's a nice uh, general idea of where I'm at. Um, I don't go to church. Like I have my own Sunday ritual. Um, I pour libations. I uh, meditate. I listen to music. Um, I do. You know, I commune with my ancestors. Um, I'm trying to. I'm leaning more into like um, West African spirituality in terms of the different rituals that they would do. Um, so. I do ancestral veneration. I pour libations. I go into the backyard. I touch grass. I walk around. I feel the sun on my skin. Um, it's nice, you know. And I do the community aspect is is com- definitely different. You know what I'm saying? Like this is nice. It feels good for me. Like I I know I feel that I'm growing. I feel it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and when I was in the space that I was, when I was in the, the space that I was in originally, the uh, the church that I grew up in. Like my moment of like the reason why I had to leave was like, if I don't leave here, I won't grow. I felt it. Mm. That was the first time that I ever like listened to my internal voice and was like, okay, I'm going to leave here and try to do something different. I went to a different church and it was just the same thing in a different package. And when the pandemic hit, I just stopped going to church. Um, But I've never felt... I've never felt more at peace with where I'm at in terms of my beliefs and... I know that I'm consistently on this journey back home to myself and it's exciting and I can't wait to see like how it will evolve and how it will grow. And it's because I've been, my mind is open now to all these different uh, possibilities and models of what my life could be and what my systems and, you know, 
how they could help me to grow and to quote unquote ascend. So I think that's where I'm at. Or that is where I'm at. That's beautiful. Like truly. That is so uh, heartwarming. Honestly, like (laughs) it feels true to me, man. What about you, Christy? Uh, no, I mean, I, I second all of that. Right. Um, I... <laughs> you just covered it. <laughs> just, uh, copy paste. Right. No. Um, <laughs> um, I, I have a hard time with the word believe. Um, mm. I get very hung up on that word a lot. Like, what do you believe? I, I don't know. Because like, you know, there are, are times when I, I want to say, well, I, I believe in the world around me. I believe in my reality, but then sometimes I don't even know if I believe in that. Like, am I just a brain in a jar experiencing? <laughs> like, I have no idea, you know? Um, and so I get really hung up on that word believe. I think it has a lot of implications. Um, and I think just because of of my background, I have a really difficult time like just saying, I believe in this, you know, I believe in, mm-hmm. in this, like without um, a solid hard proof. But um, I definitely have gotten to a point where I really do, I do believe in living in the reality that I know and, you know, the experiences that are here and not trying to look for uh, purpose, meaning, belief, faith, whatever, any outside of where I'm at, right? Like I'm, if I'm here, I'm here for a reason. And I do believe that we are all connected. I do believe we all came from the same place. I believe we're all going to the same place. Like, I don't know what that means. Um, but I think it says a lot about, um, our connection to one another as a whole, each individual, every single person, you know, I think is connected and comes from the same source, whatever that source may be. Um, I kind of, I toggle between, you know, um, complete just naturalism living in this world this is all we've got and this can't be all we've got there's got to be so much more beyond this um but i really like that i can be at a place in my life where i can explore all of those possibilities i can appreciate all of those possibilities um and i can just be more focused and um involved in the people in my life here and now, the love in my life here and now, I can I can focus on the good things about life, empathy and love and compassion and um, enjoying life, just just enjoying it, enjoying going for hikes and and experiencing just the little things, you know, around me. Um, I think that that's really special. And I spent so much of my life uh, clinging to what's after this, what's beyond this you know, uh, things that were so abstract and unseen that I spent such little time actually living in my reality. Um, and so I'm at a point where I just really want to focus on that. You know, I don't, I don't really care about what's beyond this. If there is something, I'll know it when I get to it. Um, but for now, I just really do believe in, um, I believe in love, like Danelle said, just love and empathy and compassion. I believe in critical thought and and being authentic to yourself and and maintaining your intellectual integrity, whatever that means. Um, and just, yeah, just being true to yourself. And I think if more people were true to themselves, I, I think that, you know, the world would be a better place, as corny as that is. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that it, I second that. I think that the world would be a better place, right? Because people wouldn't be suppressing themselves, right? Like, 
Mm-hmm. Any God that, you know, it's like, okay, do you believe in God? Okay. Do you believe that that God is good? Okay. So a good God is not going to want you to suppress your true nature. Uh, that's my thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I really love that. I feel like, well, Donnell is a writer. So, you know, for him to come out and say, like, I believe in love, like, that's honestly, like, <laughs> that's pure heat. That's such a great answer. It's it's not even going to be possible to talk that. Um, but if I, I could, um, I actually believe, so, so to Donnell's point, right, in the church, they mentioned something that I actually do believe. So I do believe um, in an an infinite source of some sort. I believe that this infinite source, we can call it God just for simplicity's sake, is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. And everything else kind of stems from that. So once again, like we're connected to to the rocks, to the waterfalls, to the trees, to Mm -hmm. the atmosphere, to the water, to each other, right? Um, I believe in that. I believe, uh, so, so for example, omniscience, right? Like that also trickles down to like my disbelief in free will, right? Like, um, because if there is some concept of all that there is to know, then in my opinion, that trickles down into these kinds of thoughts, like, okay, well, what I'm going to do next is already known, right? It already exists in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, even things like omnipotent, right? So once again, uh, if if there is some sort of infinite source that is all powerful, like sure, he can talk to you through Hinduism. Like why why would it not be able to talk to you through nature? Why would it not be able to reach some people through Christianity? Like of course it could, right? Because it's all powerful, and um, yeah. So so I actually believe in that, and and oddly or ironically enough believing in an infinite energy source that is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent actually contradicts with a lot of Christian teaching. So that's that's where I deviate is, you know, when we start introducing these ideas like God is insecure. No, we have a jealous God. It's like, this is not omnipotent to me, you know? So I that's where I deviate is when we start sacrificing like, oh, well, he's, yeah, no, uh, this God is all knowing, but you have free will and you will go to hell for it. It's like, yeah, I don't, that's literally where I deviate um, because I believe in, I, uh, me and my husband, we call it the three omnis. So that's what I believe in. I believe in the three omnis. Um, but you guys, this was an amazing chat just as good as I thought it was going to be. I am so honored fun. to have had so you guys fun. here. Um, yeah. Do we believe in aliens? <laughs> Do we believe in aliens? Is that what you asked? That's a good question. Yeah, Matt. <laughs> of course. How could there not be aliens? I'm agnostic yeah. when it comes to aliens. Are you? I'm kind of surprised <laughs> to hear that for some reason. I, I, I'm just, I can't put my, I, you know, again, I'm hung up on that word belief. And so if I say I believe it, then it's like, that's that's like an assurance it's a confidence and i'm like you know i don't know so i'm just gonna sit on the fence until i find out <laughs> it's all because it's experience-based i think right it's like if you meet an alien okay i believe in them right but it is kind of odd to believe in things without I think it's evidence highly likely though it's kind of <laughs> highly likely i think what, what about you yeah, donnell you yeah. pose the question do you believe in aliens <laughs> 
Oh yeah, I mean, I definitely, I, I do now because like you're taught kind of like the earth is the you know the heaven is God's throne and the earth is His footstool. So like I feel like you don't think about any other, but it's like infinite galaxy. There's a song called uh, "Pillow Talking" by Lil Dicky in which he like has a conversation. I love Lil Dicky <laughs> with a girl about like her beliefs in God, <laughs> and he was talking about what do you think about aliens? Like you know, and she was like, I don't believe in aliens. I believe in God. And he was like, Wait, what? infinite the universe is always expanding why would we be the anomaly no i agree so, i agree Shout out to, i believe i i, I agree with little dicky roll with little dicky shout out to little dicky i guess <laughs> well all right you guys this was amazing this was an amazing episode thank you so much donnell thank you so much christy all okay, right i was really excited about this and yeah for sure Absolutely. All right, everyone. This was another episode of the Felicia for the Wind show. Thank you. This is an honor. Over and out.